0: Hey folks, it's Lauren for Little Miss Neurodivergence recording this podcast from Singapore. Welcome back. This is my first time recording an episode in quite a few weeks because the past couple episodes or so, they were pre-recorded for quite a while. And then I had a period of a lot of things that were happening. And, um, well, finally I've just like realized that I have to sit down and record an episode. So I took some time out of today uh to record this and then it's going to be posted later on today as well on the day itself instead of like a pre-recorded episode. And um you know it's just a bunch of things have been happening as you know like I was contemplating moving um like there were some issues with working and like trying to find a job which fell through uh we had a death in the family one of my two cats who was sick didn't make it. And so I had to make a really tough decision and just getting back in touch with some people that I mentioned on an episode about the one about conversational narcissism, where I was hesitating to reach back out. I, in the end, I did. And then, you know, just kind of dealing with people's reactions to why I disappeared and trying to explain how my brain works because, you know, like, while this was the longest period that I've disappeared, you know, I think it was like five months that I just was MIA. Um, I did disappear before, like, in all, all the years that they've known me. I think some of these people have known them for like seven or eight years. And there would be periods of time, like one to two months, maybe maximum three months that I just kind of, you know, take time away. And maybe at the time people didn't really think much of it you know like i guess we kind of link it to like oh you know an overload of social media but then i think now that with my diagnosis getting a really good look at why i need like what's at the root of why i take that time away you know like going deeper and understanding it better i get that now but I think from the outside perspective, people will, will just be worried. And I get that, you know, like, like, where did you go? And then like, these are people that I've mentioned in the past, like, they, they depend on me emotionally. You know, like I said before, like, I don't just end up listening to what they're talking to me about themselves, like, like what's going on with themselves, but I end up kind of hearing about, you know, like, what's going on with their family like various other family members or their friends and then it just gets a lot and then on top of like you know the other like autism and uh, ADHD things where I just get really overloaded and then I'm just like okay enough is enough and I just feel like overloaded and I need to step away but from the outside I get that people can't really understand that all they know it's just like where the hell did you go and I get that. So it was just a lot of like dealing with that as well, trying my best to explain it, uh, trying my best to mend relationships where I could. And then realizing that in some of those relationships, I was stepping back into exactly the same patterns. Um, I also changed my phone, which meant that I have lost access to my Instagram account for this podcast. Uh, and I, I just, I know it's really easy to like, you know, like, send in a request and then like reset the password but honestly it is just that one extra thing that if i were to do it it's just it's just too much and i'm sorry again for those who have sent me messages i assume and that i haven't been able to access it or open it i don't know when i'll get back to that um but yeah so this was just kind of an update to let you know a bit of backstory a little bit of happy news is that Um, I wanted to say thank you for passing 2.5 listens on the podcast. Again, I'm really, really grateful that as many people as there has been, you know, have found the podcast and stayed on and like found something that I assume resonates with them. So that is really nice because I think like, you know, being late diagnosed and basically just kind of feeling there was something different about myself, feeling misunderstood. It's nice that out there somewhere, there's someone or some people who are just listening to this and going like, yeah, this resonates with me and then kind of sticking through for more episodes. So that's really nice. It's nice to know that, you know, like when I'm sitting here and recording this, it goes somewhere. What I wanted actually to talk about on this episode kind of relates to two of the things that I just mentioned in my little update there, which I didn't really plan but what happened was in the past couple months or so as I mentioned we had a death in the family and we also I also had to make a difficult decision to let one of my cats go and I want to talk about how that relates to something called alexithymia for those of you who have not heard of this word it's spelled a l e x i t h y m i a uh it's described as a difficulty when you, uh, a difficulty experiencing, identifying, or expressing your emotions. It is not a clinical diagnosis. Mental health professionals generally don't consider it a disorder, but it is said to co-occur along, you know, like some mental health conditions like depression or complex PTSD and it can also co-exist or it happens in an autistic and ADHD population as well. And there are some symptoms of it. Uh, I've mentioned a few of them, but on this list that I'm looking at right now, um, so this is from Medical News Today, the website. Like One of them is also like difficulties in recognizing and responding to the emotions in others, including others' tone of voice and facial expressions. Um, It has, Another one listed, which is a logical and rigid thinking style that does not account for emotions, poor coping skills when it comes to dealing with stress, poor life satisfaction, and problems distinguishing between emotions and bodily sensations that relate to those emotions. There are a bunch of other things on this list, but I'm not going to read that out. Uh, Go ahead and look it up if you'd like. Again, it's from Medical News Today. And the reason I picked up these few to talk about is because I wanted to link to my next point, which is how I feel, what I've realized in the last couple months is that there are at least two ways I've noticed that I experience emotions or feelings. And the thing is, I think we use the word emotions or feelings interchangeably but the truth is actually there is a difference emotions are said to um start as like a feeling in your body so like it's kind of like a way you react to something and then your feelings are from like when you think about those emotions so it's a bit more cognitive process and i observe this happening like this cognitive process happening with the passing of the family member, So at the funeral, and when I got the news, I knew cognitively, cognitively, I was sad. I was upset, you know, that we had lost somebody and this was somebody who had taken my family in, had shown us kindness. So I knew I was sad, but like at the same time, I didn't necessarily have like this reaction of like crying right away, you know, like, or having like a bodily sensation. But I knew I was sad. I knew I was affected by it. I knew I was upset. I knew I was feeling low. If someone asked me, you know, I could say those things. And I contrasted with when, with my cat. So what happened was that I had expected to have had at least like until mid July next year. That was the initial estimate the vet had given me. But then at our last appointment last month, it turned out that she actually kind of wanted me to let him go that day. And when I got that news, and I can I can feel that I'm getting affected by it because I can hear it in my voice, that I'm starting to get a bit shaky, that like immediately I responded without even thinking about it. And I was surprised. I was very surprised that I was able to access that reaction right away. And then... Fast forward to after, you know, I, my cat has passed away, and it's a few days later, and I'm sitting and I'm doing my cross-stitch and I'm trying to get on with my day. And then suddenly I realized that I feel this, I feel something in my body. It, like It's a physical sensation I can feel. And it feels like if I had to describe it, it felt like I was empty or hollow in my chest and in my throat. And I was just sitting there thinking to myself, like, what on earth is this feeling? And it was a familiar feeling because growing up, I kept having these, like, periods where I feel like empty or hollow, and I just, like, describe it as that, you know, like numbness or emptiness or hollowness. But in this present day, with my autism diagnosis and just having access to vocabulary and terms around what autism and ADHD is like, I immediately looked up what emotions or feelings i can't remember the exact term i look for but what they feel like in the body and i was shocked to discover that what i was feeling was sadness i was sad because like i said it was in those body parts that i was experiencing it but i was surprised that i couldn't name it because like i said just you know a while ago At someone else's funeral, I could tell I was sad. I knew that, like, cognitively, I knew that. But then in the moment when, you know, like, when there isn't an immediate, like, like, it's not right in front of my face, I can't tell what it is, and I guess that's the alexithymia. On the flip side of negative emotions, I think the way that I experience alexithymia with Positive emotions is also linked to what I, I guess like after I got my ADHD diagnosis and then understanding how dopamine chasing can play a part in, you know, it's just one aspect. It's not the whole thing, but it can play a huge part in why I might tend to be impulsive or keep chasing some sort of, you know, like little high. I'm wondering if it's also because of alexithymia whereby I can't tell in that moment that actually just because I've had this, something happen, like that's good and that's happy, I'm constantly still looking for like, what's the next thing? Like what's the next high? And an example of this more recently is like I mentioned, I recently changed my phone. My mom, I think in a moment of, I don't know what it was a moment of, I don't want to assume, but when she decided to get me a new phone, out of the blue like it was a phone i had wanted i had dreamed of i had hoped for and didn't really have even though i hoped i didn't have much hope real hope that i would actually get the phone but i did and it's funny because on the day of and the day after i couldn't actually tell that i was happy or, or like excited about it like i knew cognitively like I'm happy I'm glad like I could name it like again if you ask me I'd be like yeah I'm glad I got my phone I'm so happy but like it wouldn't come through in my face and in my voice but then on the like on a when I'm in a place where it comes to me like when I'm reacting when I'm happy and that is when I think it's those moments of what I call my autistic joy where like I've mentioned before, you know, like people have mentioned it before. We knew that it was like autistic joy, where I would like do this little dance or this little stim where I'd just be so happy in that moment that I just like physically move my body and just be like, wee, and like be happy and like just make a noise, you know? And like that would be the just not the cognitive way of it, but just a response way to it. So again, it's those two states of experiencing feelings and or emotions you know like one is knowing like yes this is I know I'm feeling this way even though I can't exactly feel the sensation in my body like logically or cognitively I knew that I know that but then on the other side of that it's just like oh my god there's this reaction and I you know I'm not even able to name it because in those moments when I'm dancing or like I'm happy stimming it's like I can't describe it like I know it's like a happy like light feeling but I couldn't tell you exactly like it's because I'm excited to know something or I'm happy to know this or I'm grateful like it just it's just a feeling and I think it's just so important to know this about yourself because I know that now because of my misdiagnosis and my misdiagnosis like a combination of both I feel like when you can't explain that, oh, you know, like, it's not that I'm feeling hollow or empty. It's just that I don't know what that emotion is. If you can't verbalize that about yourself, there's a really high tendency that the clinician is going to miss your diagnosis. And I say that because this was my experience, you know, through the years of like different, like, uh, like, diagnosticians that I've seen. Sorry, that was my cat who's sitting next to me. Um, hi, hey. hi, sweetie. Do you want to sit with me? Come here. So as I was saying, the clinician might miss your diagnosis because there's a confirmation bias when they work from, you know, like that initial diagnosis of, okay, trauma and depression. But then I think in my case, not necessarily knowing to go deeper and realize that There were also instances in my childhood, in my early years, where I had been told, you know, like, you need to calm down. Like, you're, like, my dad would have this signal for when I was getting really, like, over the top happy, or like, if I was getting too sensitive, like, like my dad, especially, would just like tell me, like, you know, kind of bring me back to myself and not realize that. In those moments, I was just reacting. And maybe that's kind of normal for a kid, I guess. To just kind of react and then we learn to temper our emotions, I suppose. But then not, yeah, like not realize that. I think as a kid, one of the things my mom used to say was that I was very ungrateful because she said like, I would keep wanting things even though she'd just gotten me. Like she'd gotten me this little snack. And then like five minutes later at the next shop, I'd be like, can I have this? And then five minutes later at the next shop, I'd be like, can I have this? And I think it's a combination of, number one, the ADHD that nobody knew about. And I probably have already forgotten that, you know, I just had something nice and novel. And then maybe it's worn off and maybe it's like chasing the the dopamine. But I think also it's also a combination of not knowing that alexithymia in my body where I'm feeling happy and knowing to identify that, like, I have to keep chasing it till it gets to a threshold where like, okay, now I feel like I'm grateful and like, that's the cognitive side. But then also, like I said, like the the moments when my dad would kind of be like, okay, like calm down, you know, and like have this signal for me to like, like watch yourself. And like, again, you know, it's that confirmation bias that the, the do- doctors and clinicians and various counselors I've seen since I was like 14 or 15. And the longest one I've seen were like between two years to 12 years you know, who have seen me regularly enough to not know to go deeper than just, oh, it's just depression again. And, you know, like I said, or it's just trauma. I was just really, really gobsmacked to realize that about myself. And I wasn't sure if you feel that way as well. And if you've experienced it, because I know that on a previous episode, I've mentioned that in general, when I have some feeling of dysregulation in my body, like, I just, my go-to word is just, I feel upset. Like, it feels like annoyance and upset, like it's a discomfort and like an inconvenience because like it pops up as this, I'm not comfortable, right? I'm just not feeling comfortable and that's like my go-to word. And now that I have like this knowledge, I feel like it gives me this ability to cognitively kind of like, or like, you know, like, Like, think, like, okay, like, maybe it's not just being upset. Like, maybe it's a sensory thing. Maybe it's an emotional thing. And then, like, I can... I know I've said before, like, I would run through mentally, like, a list of, like, have I gone to the bathroom? Like, am I feeling uncomfortable? Are my clothes too tight? Like, sometimes when I'm doing my chores and I, like, wash my hands and then I just kind of wipe my hands on my, my, you know, my clothes. And then my body doesn't register that my clothes are wet and that it's causing discomfort until hours later when I'm just like oh my god like somehow like it just clicks like I'm sitting here in damp clothes and that's why I'm feeling so irritable and to like realize that I need to go and change and like I'm actually getting (laughs) I can hear myself getting a bit affected by that because I think in the past when I didn't know this about myself you know, without my autism and ADHD diagnosis and not having access to this vocabulary and understanding of myself, I feel like I was just so anxious and irritable all the time or and so much of the time and probably was really unpleasant to be around, but I didn't know why. I didn't need to be. I didn't know why. I didn't know that about myself. And um it's just like this post-diagnosis, I guess, like process of, you know, the people who have said things about you that you know, have told me that I'm too much, have told me that it's hard to be around me, or some variation of that, made some comments about, like, why am I so difficult to realize that I didn't even, my body just couldn't process what I was feeling, and so I was just reacting, like, I was just in, like, a reactive state, and... It's just so helpful, you know, like to know the sensory side, but also now with these more recent like emotional events, to know that the checklist can also include how I'm feeling in my body, and another thing that has helped me apart from that chart, which highlights like you know where in your body you would feel emotions, and I would like to say it's really interesting also just just to put a pin in like that where i was going it's very interesting because when i was going through my diagnosed my diagnosis process for autism and i was asked like where i feel emotions i was able to name it and i just kind of figured you know i've been in therapy a while which is true like that could have helped but also i think what i was describing is that in those moments like If the trigger or the stressor is right in front of my face, I know like my brain can put together what I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that way. But if it's not immediate, then it takes me a while to identify it. But anyway, apart from like that chart of where, as I was saying, that chart of where it illustrates like where in your body you feel like, you know, like different emotions. Another thing that I found helps is I'm not sure if you've heard of it, but it's called the emotion wheel where it lists like, some of your very core like human emotions and it varies from emotion wheel to emotion wheel and it lists very core emotions like sad, fearful, angry, uh, happy and certain wheels have more or less and then from those emotions it breaks it down even further so for example If you're looking at happy, it might break it down into playful and content. And then from there or content, sorry, mispronunciation, but then from there, it also breaks it down into like feeling cheeky and free so that for me, I find it really helps me to put a name to what I'm feeling. And personally, I feel like that has really, really helped me with coming back to a baseline of regulation so that I'm not in this dysregulated state. And for those of you who want to nerd out with me, this Emotions Reel, just a little bit of background knowledge, it is something that started from quite a long time ago. And let me just quickly check the year because I've read it before, but of course with my horrible, horrible memory and also struggling to remember numbers, uh, I can't remember the year, but it was, I think the 1980s or 1970s where this wheel of emotions came about and it's from this person called Robert Plutchik if you'd like to read more about it and then over time it has it has evolved and gotten more detailed so that's another tip if you'd like to look it up and print it out for yourself uh to you know to refer to because i find that that really helps um uh, so yeah i just thought that this was something I wanted to talk about, and I'm not sure if, you know, I wasn't sure if anyone had heard of it, but yeah, I hope that that was useful for you and let, let's hope that with this knowledge, for those of you who are like in my shoes and kind of have to self-support yourself a lot of the time. You know, if you kind of have like maybe a smaller social group like me or a non-existent social group where you kind of have to kind of rely on yourself, hopefully this is something that helps you. Um, yep. Thanks so much again for listening. This has been Lauren for Little Miss Neurodivergence, recording this podcast from Singapore. Take care, everyone. Stay safe. Bye-bye.